I want you to stay standing just for a minute. I want to read something to you. Then we're going to pray over this time in the Word today. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 12, Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. These are strong words. He's saying if Christ is not risen from the dead and there is no resurrection from the dead, he said, your faith is empty. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, you and I are still in our sin. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, did you hear these words? Our preaching is empty. And he said, we are false witnesses. What's he saying? He said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then you and I, what we're doing in this room right now, number one, it's a waste of time. And number two, I'm a liar. If Christ isn't risen from the dead. He said, your faith is futile. That means devoid of power. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then there is no power. There's nothing in your faith. But thank God he did not stop there. Because verse 20 says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Which means what? It means I'm not a liar. Woo! Which means this is not a waste of time which means we're not still in our sin, which means your faith is not empty. It's not void of power. It's got power in it. It's working. Now, now take the flip side of that. And let me ask you, has your faith ever produced anything good in your life? Have you ever gone before God in faith and watched him do something in your life that only God can do? If you have, then guess what? That's proof Jesus is alive. That's proof that Christ is risen from the dead. Because if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, your faith would never have produced anything. But because it has, because it does, because it will, it's proof that Christ is risen from the dead. Aren't you glad we're not in here wasting time this morning? I'm not interested in wasting time, yours or mine. The reason this is not a waste of time is because Jesus is alive. Lord Jesus, we honor you today and your sacrifice. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for what you did in the grave, in the heart of the earth, and what you have accomplished in your resurrection, your ascension. And now you ever live to make intercession for us. We come before your word today with eyes open, ears open, hearts open to see and receive. We thank you for the work you've begun in us. We call you faithful to finish it. You are the author and the developer, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. We honor you today. We love you. 
And we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It is a good day for a miracle. If you've got your Bible, again, please open with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at a scripture we've been looking at for a number of weeks. And I want to remind you, uh, as we kind of come into a new season here, springtime, as seasons change through this year, the word of the Lord does not change. And the word of the Lord came to us, moving out of last year and into this one, that this year we would be better than ever. How you doing, church? Are you? How you feeling? How's your marriage? How are things financially? <laughs> it happens every time. The more I go on with it, it starts better than ever. This like, bet well. <sighs> and that's all right. Listen, even if, even if better than ever is not what you're seeing at the moment, we're faith people, which means we don't wait to see something before we say something. We, it means we believe there's power in our words, not just to communicate, but to create. And you have the same ability in faith-filled words that God had in his faith-filled words when he said, light be, you have a measure of that same power. So if you're looking at your marriage, if you're looking at your job, if you're looking at the finances and you're like, it's anything but better than ever, well, put a watch over your mouth, look at them, and in Jesus' name, declare over them, you are better than you've ever been. And I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. And what I believe is the word of the Lord that came to this church family declaring that he is bringing us into the shape where we are what? Better than ever. And we found our scriptural foundation for that in 1 Peter chapter 5 that says, May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after we've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. When the God of all grace has gone to work in your life to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, what kind of shape are you in? Better than you've ever been. And we have spent the last several weeks, maybe we're over into months now, talking about what it means to be perfected, what it means to be developed. And again, this word doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean you never make a mistake. The word perfected, as the Bible uses it, means complete. It has to do with our completion, our development, our maturity. And we see that here in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Let's read this together, and we'll read just a few verses. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, As you have, excuse me, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, what are you supposed to do next? You walk in him. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, say it with me, church, so walk in him. This is going to mean something more to you here in a minute, but I want to drive it home right now. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, say it again, so walk in him. What do you do after you're born again? You walk in him. Him. What do you do after grace has been deposited in you? You walk in Him. You walk. As you have received Jesus the Lord, then what? Now what? You walk. You go walking. You go walking by faith. 
And if you don't think this is a big deal, you need to study some scripture and find out what a big deal it actually is to God to have people, children, that will walk by faith, that'll walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by what they feel. Walk by faith and not by what their senses tell them. The Bible talks to us about a man named Enoch. And Enoch shows up in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You know what Hebrews chapter 11 is? It's that great hall of faith where one right after another, by faith, this one, by faith, that one, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Moses, by faith, David. And it truly is the hall of fame of faith. But Enoch, Enoch shows up in that hall of fame. And compared to everybody else listed there, it's kind of funny that he's, that he's among them because, man, when you're talking Abraham, you're talking about some major stuff in Scripture. You're talking about the father of faith. You're talking about the one who God called out of his father's house and who made the, the, the promise of the blessing to him. You're talking about Abraham and Sarah. You're talking about Moses, the one through whom God gave the law in the first five books of the Bible. These are, <laughs> these are major players, right? But when you get to Enoch, we, we know relatively little about him. He's got like five verses in the book of Genesis, and they're in a genealogy. You know what that is? So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot That's kind of what happens. I tell folks all the time, if you're having trouble sleeping, go to that chapter right there. Until you get to Enoch. And what the Bible tells us about Enoch, it gives us information about him that it doesn't give about anybody else in that chapter. It comes to Enoch and it tells us who his dad was, tells us how long Enoch lived, and then he had children, kind of, you know, everything else that was already in that chapter. But then it adds something about his life that you don't see added about anybody else's. You know what it says? He walked with God. From the time he had children to the time he died was 300 years. And the only thing we know about those 300 years is that he walked. He walked with God. And that is pretty much everything we know about this man's life. He walked with God for 300 years. That's a long walk. Anybody in here been walking with the Lord 10 years? Would you say your life's different in those 10 years? What about 20? What about 30? What about 300? Think about what God can do in the life of somebody who would walk with him. Just walk with him for 300 years. And that fact alone is what put him in Hebrews chapter 5. Or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. Which says Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. God was so thrilled with this man. Why? What did he do? What miracles did he perform? What messages did he preach? None that we know of. God was so pleased with this guy for one reason. He went walking. God came to him and said, walk with me. And Enoch said, okay. And they went for a walk. A 300 year walk. One guy said, God finally looked at him and said, man, we've walked so long. We're closer to my house than we are yours. Just... Come on over. People say Enoch, he was not found. 
God took him. And that's Hebrews 11.5. You want to know what Hebrews 11.6 says? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch is the reason Hebrews 11.6 exists. Because he walked with him. What are you and I supposed to be doing? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Come on, say it church. So walk in him. So walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware or watch out, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him." There's nothing missing in Jesus. There's nothing missing in you. When you are in him, you are complete. And we're connecting this to what the Bible says about our perfection. It's about our completeness. When you're in him, you are complete the same way he was complete with God in him and him in the father. And the scripture tells us here that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. There was nothing in God that was left out of Jesus. It was all in him. Jesus was complete. And here's the good news. When you are in him, you are just as complete as he was and is in God. That's awesome when you think about it. And what we're dealing with here, we've hit on a number of things. We've hit on what this word perfect means. We've hit on spiritual maturity and spiritual development. But here's what's at the root of everything we're talking about. We're talking about our identity. Somebody say identity. This is what we're dealing with. Developing an identity of who we are in Jesus and who Jesus is in us. Because most everybody else in this world is asking and wondering, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? But that's not our question. I said, that's not our question. Don't waste time on the question, who am I? Child of God, listen to me. Don't spend another moment. Don't waste another breath wondering or confused. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? The question you need to be asking is, who am I in Jesus? Who is Jesus in me? That's my identity. And you start here with, I am complete in him, which means I don't need anything that this world has to offer to make me complete. I don't need more money for me to be complete. I don't need this unbelieving world's approval and acknowledgement and attention so that I can be complete. I don't need it. I don't need it. I am complete in him. Can we say it together? I am complete in him. You are not a puzzle with missing pieces. You're complete. And when you put together a puzzle and the last piece goes in and the picture's complete, what do you say? Perfect. Nothing missing. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is who and what you are in Jesus. You are complete in him. Do yourself a favor. Spend time in the word of God on the hunt, looking for identity scriptures. You know, I have found as we read our chapter together every day, Monday through Friday, yeah. amen. I get, this is, you're gonna laugh at this. I get more out of that chapter 
if I will read it with a pen and a highlighter in my hand. You think, what in the world? Why in the world would that make a difference? Because if I'm reading it with that in my hand, it's expectation. I'm about to find something. I'm about to see something. That's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so valuable. I'm going to circle it. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to write about it. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. And it has totally changed the way I read the word and what I get out of it. And you can see that. If you just are doing it out of habit and tradition, trying to get through it, you're not going to get anything out of that. But if you sit there with a posture of expectation, I'm looking, I'm looking, you're going to find things. He who seeks, guess what? Finds. <laughs> it's just that simple. And do yourself a favor. Go looking for scriptures that tell you who you are in Jesus. And when you find them, circle them, highlight them, write them down, put them on a sticky, slap them on a mirror, do something to draw your attention to it. Because one of the greatest things you'll ever do for you, for your family, for your children, is find out who you are in Jesus. And you need to be looking for words like in Christ, words like by Christ or through Christ or with Christ. When you see these words, these are little in him um, identity scriptures. They need to pop to you. In him, by him, through him, with him, in whom, by whom, with whom, through whom. Every time you come across one of these, you ought to go, oh, that's me. That's who I am. That's my identity in him. And this is such a big thing in our world right now. Have you heard these, this phrase thrown around? I identify as? Anybody else hearing this lately? I identify as? And evidently, you can just pick something. And all you have to say is, I identify as. But listen to this. Listen to a few of these here. These are familiar to you. If any man be in Christ. Oh, what's that? That's identity. I ought to wake up right then. I'm, I'm about to find out who I am in him. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's your identity. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So you could say, I identify as a new creature. I identify as a new creation. Listen to this one. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So you could say, I identify as God's workmanship. That's my identity. Created for good works. The rest of that verse says in Ephesians that we should walk in them. Listen to this one from 2 Corinthians. For he who made him, uh, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, say it church, in him, in Christ, in Jesus. I identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you tracking with me? He said, we are, Romans 8, 37, more than conquerors through him. That's an identity scripture. I identify as not, not weak, not easily defeated, not easily run over by my enemy. I identify as more than a conqueror through him who loves me. That's my identity. That's what I identify as. Anybody else? We're more than conquerors through him who loves us. 
I want to give you one right now that I believe we'll spend the next few minutes really centering in on. And this is going to connect with resurrection maybe in a way you've never seen it before. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose. Okay. You ought to wake up right there. That's identity. That's about to tell you who and what you are. When you see these words, in him, by him, through him, with him, in Christ, by Christ, with Christ, through Christ, in whom, by whom, with whom, through whom, you're finding out who you are. You're finding out what you have. You're finding out what you know. You're finding out what you can do. See, isn't this much more valuable information than who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And looking to something after this flesh, looking to the family you were born in to define you, the nation you were born in to define you, the political party you're a part of to define you. Is this not much more valuable information than that stuff? Absolutely. Finding out who you are. By whose stripes, you ready to find out who and what you are? You were healed. This is your identity. Somebody say, I identify, I identify as, healed. as healed. I identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. I identify as a new creation in Christ Jesus. I identify as his workmanship. I identify as more than a conqueror through him who loves me. And I identify not with sickness, not with disease, not with pain, not with weakness. I identify as healed. Would you just try it one more time? I love hearing you say this stuff this morning. I identify as healed. Now, how did this happen? We're laughing about this a second ago because evidently now in this culture and mad, mad world we're living in, you can just pick something out of the air and say, I identify as that. But it leaves everybody else going, how? Why? Where's that come from? And if we don't have a source for our identity, even what I'm saying right now, you got to ask yourself how. It's a good thing. I identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, how? Because you used to not be. You used to be unrighteous. You used to be unworthy. Where was the change? What happened that enabled you to go from one thing to another? You used to be way less than a conqueror, like way less, <laughs> like easily defeated, like steamrolled day after day after day, failing, falling miserably. What happened? Well, huh? I mean, I can say it. Yeah, I identify more than a conqueror. Awesome. Tell me where it happened. Tell me where the change was. Here's where the big switch came. It didn't start with you just identifying as righteousness. It started when you were crucified with Christ. It began that moment. That's identity. Didn't Paul say that? I am crucified with Christ. When you see those words, with Christ, 
What should you think? Identity is who I am. You've seen me up here moving around, waving my arms this morning, but you're looking at a dead man. You're looking at a dead man right now. I am, I identify as crucified with him. And then I have to guess, I, I say what Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But all of that comes after my identity as one who was crucified with Christ. What else does the New Testament tell us? Not only were you crucified with him, you were buried with him. You cannot be identifying as righteousness. You can't be identifying as more than a conqueror. You can't be identifying as a new creation. And you certainly can't be identifying as healed until you've identified with him in his crucifixion. Until you've been buried with him. I identify as one who was crucified with him, buried with him, but we didn't stop there, did we? We've been buried with him. We've been raised with him. I identify as somebody who's been resurrected from the dead. That's my identity in Christ. Crucified with him, buried with him, and risen again with him. And it didn't even stop there. Guess what else? We've been seated with him in heavenly places. He was crucified. I was crucified. He was buried. I was buried. He was raised again. I was raised again. He ascended. I ascended. You ascended. We have ascended to a place seated with him in heavenly places, far above all principality, far above all power in every name that is named. Glory to God. But here's what we're going to see today, especially in connection to our identity as those who are healed, identifying with our healing. If we identify with his crucifixion, then what we're saying is whatever crucified him crucified us. If it was sin that crucified him, when we identify with that, we are saying sin crucified me. Now, Paul said it. I have been crucified with Christ. But let me ask you something. Did Paul go to the cross? Did he? No. He didn't go to the cross. And yet, because he identified as one who went to the cross, heaven records it as though he did. You didn't go to a cross. I didn't go to a cross. Thank God. But because we identify with the one who did, heaven records it. Yeah, you paid the price. Yeah, the, the debt's been wiped out because of your identification with the one who did. Whatever crucified him crucified you. Well, wouldn't it stand to reason that if the same thing that crucified him crucified you, then the same thing that raised him up has raised you up. And so the question this morning is, how'd God do that? I'm talking about raising Jesus from the dead. How'd you do that? Isn't that what people want to know? When you see somebody do something that most everybody else can't do, or they do something and you just can't figure out how they did it. The, the big question is, how'd you do that? The first thing is, wow, that was amazing. The second thing is, how? How'd you do that? I want to know how you did that. 
And this happened throughout Jesus' ministry. As he would lay hands on the sick and they'd recover or he'd raise the dead or he'd cast out a demon, people would go, wow, how'd you do that? What word is this, is what they would say. What kind of word is this that demons flee? What kind of word is this? Because that's how Jesus did it. With word. How'd you do that? How? And we talk about the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection. But this morning, I'm wanting to know, God, that's awesome. That's amazing. How'd you do that? <laughs> and, and people are too quick to put everything under the column of he's God and he can. Have you noticed that? Well, you know, he's God. Okay. I need more. Anybody else with me? Come on, God. How'd you do that? Why don't you ask him for yourself? How'd you do that? Anybody else interested in knowing? I am. How'd you do that? And I'm not satisfied and I don't want you to be satisfied this morning either with, well, you know, he's God and he can question. Are all things possible with him? Sure. All things are possible. Does that mean everything is easy? Now here's where you get some people kind of scratching their heads because if he's God, then of course everything's easy for him. But, but take some time and look at your scriptures. There certainly are many, many things things that would be impossible for you and I after the flesh that are very easy to him. I mean, Jesus said, I cast out demons by the finger of God. Does that sound easy? I'm not, I'm not really into Halloween. We don't really do the Halloween thing in our house. But I think if I were to ever go to a costume party on Halloween, I would dress as the finger of God. <laughs> Casting out demons all over the place. Casting demons out of witches and warlocks and whatever else somebody came dressed in. The finger of God. Somebody flick your neighbor right now. How much power is that? That's easy, right? And we sometimes think, man, casting out a demon, golly, what, what kind of power would that take? Like flicking power. The way you and I address a fly is the way God addresses a demon. But right on the other hand, the scripture talks about the hand of God. Now that's more power, isn't it? His mighty hand. The scripture also talks about the, the mighty right arm of God. That's more power than hand power. That's more power than, than what's in the finger. So you can see that there are varying degrees of power required from God. I want you to see something in the book of Ephesians. Chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one, other places in Ephesians and other places in letters that Paul wrote to these churches, we get what are called um, the Ephesian prayers or the prayers in Colossians. And, and people make a big deal out of praying these prayers. And I highly recommend it. This is powerful stuff. This thought always occurs to me when I read, when Paul said things like here in chapter one, Verse 15, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. There are just some people you want praying for you. There are some people who you would be very grateful, very thankful to have their prayers over your life. 
guess what? There are some that you would rather not. <laughs> when somebody comes and says, I'll pray for you, brother. And if it's God's will for you to be healed, wonderful. If it's not, then, then I just pray you learn from this sickness. I, you know what? Just do me a favor. Don't pray for me. Don't pray for me. There are some people though, you want praying for you. Am I right, church? I have it in my heart that we as a family ought to be praying prayers of faith and love for each other. I want your prayer of faith. I want your love extended towards me. You want my prayer of faith on your behalf. How many of you would think that, that the, apostle prayer, the apostle Paul would be somebody on your list that you would think, yeah, go ahead, brother, pray for me. <laughs> Listen to what he's praying. He said, I don't cease to make, uh, make mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, this is what he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You want somebody praying that for you. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You want somebody praying that for you. In verse 19, he's praying that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. Not his power working against you, his power working for you. You don't want God's power working against you. Good news is he said he is for you and never against you. And he's praying here that you would know the, the exceeding greatness of his power, which is for you, which is toward you who believe according to the work. Listen, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. How did God do that? How did God raise Jesus from the dead? According to this verse, it took the working of his mighty power. It took everything God had. Yes, all things are possible. That does not mean everything is easy. It took the working of his mighty power. Just think about the terms easy and hard and what makes something easy, what makes something hard and how something can be hard for one person and easy for another. These are such relative terms. I mean, most of us, if we were to, maybe we were to slide down on one of those bench press uh, you know, you're in the gym and you're about to lift some weight and you're under that bar and maybe a hundred pounds or 200 pounds, that, that could be a lot for somebody. And there, there are those who that would seem impossible. But right on the other hand, you've got some guy that slides down on that bench, loads that bar up with 500 pounds and pops off 10 or 12 reps. Let me ask you something. Is a hundred pounds easy or hard for him? Come on, you can answer me, church. For a guy that can rep out 500, is 85, 95 pounds, is that easy or hard? Easy. How do you know it's easy? Because you know what he's capable of. You know he's done so much more than this. And because you know he can do all that, then you know this thing over here is easy. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, healing's easy. Why? Because you know 
what God can do with his mighty power. You know that when a body had been beaten and marred and scarred and nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns was shoved on the head and blood poured out of his hands and his feet and that body was taken down dead and lifeless and that body was buried and that body went into the pit of the earth and it was there gripped by death gripped by hell, not just for a little while, but day after day. And you know that with as strong as a grip death had on him, when the working of the mighty power of God hit that body, that body, that physical body, the working of the mighty power hit that body. It was enough to raise that body up out of the ground and make that body well and make that body whole and make that body live. What's healing? If you know he can lift 500, what's 85? Come on, it's easy. How do you know? Because of the working of his mighty power. Listen to it from the NIV. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 in the NIV says, His incomparably great power. He wants you to know this incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So when the Bible said and was talking about his mighty power, it's literally the word that translates to strength. Strength. What have we been talking about all year? May the God of all grace perfect, establish, strengthen you. Sickness is simply weakness. That's all sickness is. It's a weakness of some kind. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, listen to this from verse 4 from the Amplified Bible. Surely he has borne our griefs. Have you heard this one before? Surely he has borne our griefs. And what are those? Our sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. He carried our sorrows and our pains. This is what Jesus bore on the cross. He took on him what nailed him? Sin, okay. But in addition to that, he took on himself our sicknesses, which is weakness. Sickness is just weakness. Why does somebody get sick? And I mean with anything. You take the spectrum of sickness from something that people don't think is a big deal to something that they call a very big deal. What's the root cause? Somewhere along the way, there was weakness. The weakness of an immune system. The cells in the body being weak and not able to fight something off. Sickness is just weakness. Now, whether you're talking about a physical sickness in a physical body, keep in mind that the scripture used the body to describe us. We're a body. And the same way you don't want things spreading through this body, you don't want viruses spreading through this body. You don't want disease. You don't want sickness spreading through this body. You wouldn't want a cancer spreading through this body. There are things that you and I 
should not want spreading through this body. And the Bible talks about gossip, complaining, murmuring, backbiting, and the word it uses to describe these things and what it does is it says it spreads. You knew that, didn't you? What does gossip do? Spreads like a cancer. And what it's looking for, when somebody's got a complaint, when somebody's got a grumble, when somebody's got a murmur, guess what it's looking for? A weak cell in the body that I can take this to and spread this cancer to it and through it. And the only way gossip spreads is by the same way cancer spreads from weak cell to weak cell to weak cell. The only way a disease in this body would spread is if a weak cell finds another weak cell who will listen to it, who will bite into it, who will join in with it, and then let it spread through them. If junk like that spreads in a body like this, what do you know? There are weak cells in the body. But right on the other hand, I've seen this happen over and over. I've seen it happen with our staff. And it just so blesses me when somebody comes to them with this grumbling and complaining and this murmuring and they run up against a strong cell. They run up against a cell that's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not listening to that. And then the person, the person feels like, oh, you just don't love me. You're just not, you're not acknowledging. You're not receiving what I'm saying. No, no, I love you. I don't love cancer. I love you. I don't love disease. And I'm not letting this junk spread through me into this body. And people don't know. People don't know what to do with that. They run into a little strength. They run into a little resistance. They run into a spiritual immune system like they never had before. And guess what they do? Turn around, go see if they can find a weak one somewhere. Can I prophesy, church? In Jesus' name, we are a church full of strong cells. This body's made up of strong cells, a strong spiritual immune system that resists, that fights against, that stands against stuff trying to spread through this body, stuff trying to spread like a cancer from one cell to another. I'm not going to let, I'm, I'm not going to be a weak cell. And it's not that I don't love you. I do love you and don't want you to be a weak cell. I want you to be a strong cell. Here's what I'm saying to you. Whatever crucified him crucified us. Whatever raised him from the dead raised us. How'd you do that, God? With strength. The working of his mighty strength. That's what's working in us. Healing is easy. How do I know that? Because I already saw God bench press a million pounds when he raised Jesus from the dead. Healing's easy. If sickness is weakness, what is healing? It's just strength. Health is just strength in this body. 
It's a strong immune system that fights back. It's strong cells that resist disease and sickness and pain. But even deeper than that, it's a strong spirit of a man, a strong spirit of a woman that will sustain them in bodily harm and in trouble. Strength on the inside. I want you to look at just a couple more scriptures with me. You remember what I told you earlier? It's a good day for a miracle. Somebody say, I identify as healed. I identify as strong, strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. In John chapter five, this was in our Bible reading this week. And a few days ago, Sarah pointed something out in this verse that, gosh, I don't know how many times I must have read it, but it hit me in such a strong way. And I want you to see it too. John chapter five. This is the account of the man who was laid at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, Jesus went to this man. The Bible says in John chapter five, verse five, that there was a certain man there who had in an infirmity. How long? 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. That's just a few years less than I am old. 38 years. That's, that's half a lifetime for many people. For this man, it could have been his whole life. 38 years is a long time to deal with something. And I looked this word up this morning. He had been laid there with an infirmity. You know what the word infirmity means? Weakness. It's the same word translated sickness. It's the same word translated disease. And it's the same word translated through the scripture, weakness. What's this man's problem? Simple, it's weakness. Why can't he move? Why can't he walk? Does anybody remember a few minutes ago? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, what are you supposed to be doing? Why can't he? Weakness. A 38-year weakness. When Jesus saw him lying there, verse 6, and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, and this is what Sarah pointed out to me, do you want to be made well? Talk about obvious. I mean, Jesus, did you really have to ask that question? Seriously. It seems like that's like wasted breath, wasted words, but help me church. Is there one wasted word out of the mouth of God, out of the mouth of Jesus? He said, I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. What did Jesus say to him? Do you want to be made well? I don't know. It seems obvious. But evidently, Jesus has a purpose and a reason in asking this question. Do you want to be? Do you want to be made well? Now, in my mind, verse 7 of John chapter 5 should be the shortest verse in the Bible. Verse 6 should end with Jesus saying, do you want to be made well? And all of verse 7 should be what? Yes. Yes. I want to be made well. What you, I want you to notice verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. 
Isn't that interesting? Do you want to be made well? Should be a simple question with a simple answer. But instead of answering yes, he immediately says, it's their fault. I don't have anybody to put me in. It's their fault I'm not well. It's somebody else's fault that I don't have healing. Do you want to be made well? Here's what I believe is the connection and why Jesus would ask him that and why he's asking you that this morning. When you've got something that's been a part of your life year after year after year for 38 years, you know what happens? It becomes your identity. It becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a part of the way you think. It becomes a part of the way you talk. It's your identity. Do you want to be made well? Seems like an easy question with an easy answer. Unless that thing is such a part of your identity that you're using it, that it's your way of getting what you need from other people. It's become such a part of your life and your identity that you can so very easily shift the blame to whatever you're doing wrong, whatever's wrong in your life, whatever's not right, whatever's not complete. You can say, it's their fault I'm not complete. It's their fault I don't have what I need. If you're talking like that, then that sickness, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, it's a part of your identity. And if you're talking that way, I don't think you want to be made well. Because if you want to be, you're going to have to lose that. If you want to be made well, you are going to have to stop identifying as the sick. If you want to be made well, you got to stop identifying as the broke. If you want to be made well, you got to stop identifying as the weak. Let the weak identify with their weakness. Come on, help me church. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Yeah, baby, but you don't look strong. Don't matter. I'm saying it. I identify as strong, which means I have to lose the identity as weak. I don't care what anybody's done or not done for me. I don't care what mama did, what daddy did. I don't care what my last boss did. I don't care what my last church did. I don't care. I'm not the weak. I'm the strong. I'm a strong cell in a strong body. And I have strength to resist and strength to rebuke and strength to stand against. I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. Do you want to be made well? Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just that my mom, when I was little, do you want to be made well? It's just that I didn't have a dad growing. Do you want to be made well? It's just that that last church I was at, that it, do you want to be made well? It's just I went through that divorce. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? If you do, then you're going to have to lose that identity and get this one. Oh, come on. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with him. I've been raised with him. The old man is dead and gone. I'm a new creation. And this creation is strong. This creation is more than a conqueror. Glory to God. Do you want to be? then you're going to have to confront these things that have been a part of your identity lo these many years. I don't know if it's 5, 10, 20, 38 years, but you can have an identity change like that. You can start today 
identifying as something else, not identifying as a victim anymore, identifying as a victor, identifying as not weak, but not sick, but healed. I identify as healed. Glory to God. And Jesus and his love and his mercy and his compassion, he said to this man, and this ought to mean something to you today on of all days. Verse eight, John five, verse eight. Jesus said to him, what? Oh, come on somebody. Jesus said to him, what? Jesus said to him, what? In 38 years, he's not had the strength to rise. Where's he going to get strength to rise? Where are you going to get strength to rise? The same working of his mighty power, his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him. Are we tracking together? When he raised him from the dead. And what's Jesus saying to this man? Rise. What's he saying to you this morning, church? Rise. Yeah, but I don't have the. Mm, stop it. 38 years without the strength to rise. And at the word of the Lord, what do he say? Not just rise, rise, take up your bed and walk. Come on, walk as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, your Lord. So walk in him. Get up. Yes, but walk, walk. What happened when that tomb was rolled away? He came walking out of that tomb. And if he can walk out of a tomb, you can walk away from whatever identity has kept you bound for all these years. You can walk away from sickness. You can walk away from weakness. You can walk away from pain. Where do you get the strength to do that? It's the same stuff that raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit that quickened his mortal body is quickening your mortal body this morning. Praise the Lord. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Rise up and walk. Acts chapter three. Musicians, you guys begin to come up. It's a good day for a miracle. It's a good day for a miracle. Acts chapter three. Read a few verses here with me. Verse one. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You are about to read what happened, not in a church service, not in a healing meeting or a miracle revival meeting. You're about to read what happened on the way to prayer. I feel like this is a good opportunity to remind you this Wednesday evening, <laughs> you and I are praying together, getting ready for this conference that's coming up. And we are going to spend some time praying, but I believe miracles can happen on the way to prayer. Miracles can happen while we pray. You're thinking, well, I've never seen a miracle come to prayer. Just let you think on that. They went up together to the temple at the ninth, uh, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, verse two, a certain man lame from his mother's womb. Now, what you find out from chapter four is this man's over 40 years old. 
That's a long time. And he's lame from his mother's womb, born with this. You talk about an identity problem, an identity crisis. What would he say? I was born this way. I was born this way. Have we heard that said in our culture over the last decade or two more than ever before? I was born this way. I was born this way. I was born this way. To me, this is why God is not so interested in the way you were born, but in the way you were reborn. In the identity change that happened in your rebirth. Lame from his mother's womb. He was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on them with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. I left my wallet at home. But what I do have, what I do have, what I do have. Study the words. It means what I do have on hand. It's what I have ready. It's what I have right here. What I do have. We're reading Acts chapter 3. What is it Peter does have as of Acts chapter 2? What's he got? He has got the Holy Spirit in him, on him, working through him. And what do you know about that, that spirit? It's the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do what? Do what? Get up. Get up. But, but I've been like this from my mother. Do you want to be made well? But I've been this way always. Do you want to be made well? It's a part of my identity. If you want to be made well, it's easy. Get a new one. Get a new identity. Rise up. Oh, yeah, but, but you know, I was born and, and I don't have. Get up. Rise up. Where do you get the power to rise up? It's the same stuff that God worked in Jesus when he raised him from the dead. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Get up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received. What was the problem? Weakness. That's the, that's the whole problem this man's had from the day he was born. Study it for yourself. I'm not a doctor. I don't study or claim to know about all these things, but you can read about conditions where the muscles don't develop and the bones don't come together the way they should. And here he is over 40 years old and he's got the last 40 years of, of muscle not developing the way it did in everybody else. And for 40 years, there's been no strength to stand. There's been no strength to walk. And for most, most of the rest of us, it takes weeks, months even, to get this walking thing down. You ever watched a little one when they first learn? Man, it takes some time, doesn't it? Takes days, takes weeks, takes months. He grabbed this man by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and 
walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Healing from God can take place in a number of ways in our body. It can begin to happen in our lives and we can begin to build strength and we could have been going down, down, down and then, and then healing begins to take place and we start getting better and better and better. Or you can have something like this where God in a moment of time dumped 40 years of missing strength into this man's body. And in a moment, didn't take days, weeks, months, or years, immediately he began to walk. What happened for him right then? He had a 40-year identity as weak, lame, a beggar, and it all changed in a moment of strength. Strength. Now, this doesn't stop right here. It goes on. Why don't you stand up? We're about to praise the Lord about this. This is going to be good. It says in verse 11, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Here's just a little bit of advice for you. If God does something in your life and you ever want him to do it again, give him the glory for it. Don't take any of it. Don't share in any of it. If something good takes place, if some miracle happens, make sure all the glory goes to God. That's what we do week after week after week. We tell these testimonies. Who gets the glory for this? God gets the glory for it. Why do we say it? Because we want them to keep happening. Why do you look at us, he said, as though we did something or our power or godliness made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our father, glorified his son Jesus. Man, he's preaching now whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead. Yeah, but how'd he do it? I know he did, but how? Strength. Strength. The working of his mighty strength. Not, not finger power, not hand power, not even the whole arm, but every ounce of strength that God Almighty had in him is what it took to raise Jesus from the dead. And then he took and turned that same power and he's using it in you. He's using it for you. And if he can do that with Jesus, come on. What's COVID? What's cancer? What's diabetes? What, what are they? What's heart disease? Huh? Easy. This is easy. And this is why Peter started preaching resurrection. He said, you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. Weakness was the problem and this man got strength whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given. Oh, you ready for this? The faith which comes through him has given him what? What have we been studying for months? Perfection, completeness. I'm complete in him, which says to me, sickness is incompleteness, which is why I refuse to identify with it. 
which means to me weakness is incompleteness and I will not identify with it because the power of God that's present to heal will do in you what it did for this man and give you perfect soundness in the presence of everybody. Glory to God. Several years ago, Sarah and I had been invited to the home of one of our partners. It was a lady who was uh, in the very last stages of cancer. And we went and visited her. And just a couple of weeks later, she went home to be with the Lord. But something happened the day we went to see her. We walked into her house. Her husband welcomed us in. Sweet people. Love these people. She was sitting over there in a recliner. And uh, she was very, very weak. Very frail. She was on oxygen. She could barely lift her voice above a whisper. And we sat there for just a little while, probably half an hour or so, and she would try to talk to us and she would just slip in and out of sleep while she was talking. She'd be saying to us something to us and just close her eyes and fall asleep. And then she'd come back to, she'd say, I'm so sorry. I just, I just feel so and she'd be talking to us and then she'd just lose her train of thought and she'd have to say to her husband, well, what was I saying? I don't, I don't remember. She's very frail. And about half an hour or so into our visit, I said, can I just minister some things to you? Yes. I opened right here to Acts chapter three and I began talking to her about this man who received strength. And how through Jesus' name and faith in his name, strength was ministered to him. And Sarah and I just sat there with her for about the next 15 minutes, ministering strength, strength, strong in the Lord. You hear that? In the Lord. What's that? Identity. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This man needed strength. You need strength. And we just sat there. And you know, after just ministering to her for a little bit, I noticed she sat up in her chair. She started talking to us. Her voice got full. She talked and she talked and she talked and talked and talked. And finally, I said to her, do you realize you've been talking to us for the last 15 minutes and you've not nodded off one time? You've not lost your awareness, not one time. She said, you're right. Sarah had gotten down on her knees and was sitting right there at the lady's feet as she was sitting in that recliner. And I looked down and I was like, Sarah, you're kneeling on her oxygen tube, babe. <laughs> Didn't even know it. Didn't know that for the last 15, 20 minutes, Sarah's been cutting this woman's oxygen off. <laughs> and she talked and she talked and she talked and her voice got full and she got strong and strong and strong. When we first came in, she, she just could barely get the words out and she asked us to forgive her for not coming to the door to welcome us. This is okay. It's all right. But after about an hour or an hour and a half, we had service to go to that night. I said, we love you. We've got to go get ready for service. She said, okay, well, let me walk you to the door. Got up out of that chair, walked us to the door, stood at the door and talked for another 10 minutes. Sarah and I got in the car, looked at each other. Did you see what just happened? What just happened? In a word, what just happened? 
strength came. Strength came. Where there was weakness, there was strength. Now she went home to be with the Lord just a week or two after that. And I thought, Jesus? That's not what I saw when I left her. Listen, do yourself a favor. Don't go down that road. You don't know. You don't know where people are. You don't know the conversations they've had with the Lord. You don't know how long they've been in a fight. So don't judge them and definitely don't judge him. All right. But here's what the Lord began saying to me. That can happen and it can increase and increase and increase and increase. And you can get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And you can come to the place where that cancer that's looking for weak cells, weak cells, weak cells, it can start running up against strong cells, strong cells, strong cells. And just like we fight it off in this body, your body can fight it off. The stronger and stronger and stronger it gets. Is healing easy? Yeah. How do I know? Because of the resurrection. Because that stuff took mighty power. This stuff takes finger flicking power. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.